Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hey everyone, I'm here before the episode starts to bring you learning moments with Amy. Now that I've been podcasting and advocating for a few years, my understanding of endometriosis, as well as the issues that our community faces, well, they've really evolved and progressed over the years. So I've been going through our earliest episodes because I want to make sure that these earliest published episodes have accurate information in them. I noticed in our earliest episodes, we sometimes make jokes about endometriosis and the uterus. But endometriosis is not a disease of the uterus. I have always had my worst endometriosis symptoms during my period, so I think that's why in the past I associated my pain with my period and therefore with my uterus. But in actuality, my pain is from my endometriosis. It's not from my uterus, especially because I don't have adenomyosis, which is a disease of the uterus. As I've learned more about the complex issues around endometriosis in terms of the myths and the treatments based on these myths, Brittany and I have really tried to get away from making jokes involving the uterus because endometriosis is not about the uterus. You can have endometriosis without having a uterus, and removal of the uterus via a hysterectomy does not cure endometriosis. All right, thanks for joining Learning Moments with Amy, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Today we're going to talk about what it's like to live with an invisible illness. (laughs) Sounds like a ghost. So as we know, endometriosis is an invisible illness, and sometimes we're put in situations where we have to explain about having endometriosis or what our limitations are or we're not able to do something because of our illness. But people cannot see our illness because, as we've established, it's a ghost. Well, sometimes you can see it. You know, if it's like one of those days you wake up and you're like, oh, look, I have endo belly today. So, you know, sometimes you can see it, but it's often not met with the best result. (laughs) And I think apart from endo being invisible is that endo for a lot of us for a long time was also a nameless illness. Like for many of us, I mean, the average time to get diagnosed is seven years. For me, it took 16 years. And Overachiever. I've, <laughs> well, and I've heard stories of other people. It's taken 20 years to be diagnosed. So during that time, you're living with symptoms that disrupt your life that have no name and with no valid, quote unquote, reason behind them with no diagnosis. I think that's also what makes it so tough because when you don't have a name for your illness, other people just think you don't even actually have an illness. So you can be seen as exaggerating your symptoms or like you're making them up or you're drama being, queen. Yeah, right. Or you're being a hypochondriac or you're just really don't have anything wrong with you and you just want to be play victim or something. And sometimes even when you do get diagnosed with endo, because like we've said, there's so much stigma around (laughs) reproductive. Gross. Yeah, right. Ew. That people still, especially people who also experience periods, think, oh, it can't possibly be that bad. So having a nameless illness, it can be dismissed not only by your friends and family members, but especially by doctors, which, as we know, can breed such a deep-seated doubt in yourself. Like, if you're told by a doctor that there's nothing wrong with you, you're going to start to believe, well, okay, maybe I am making it up. Maybe there is nothing wrong with me. And if you're telling friends and family this, or a friend and family hears a doctor say that, then they're going to believe the doctor and they're not going to believe you. So this, like, nameless illness perpetuates such a deep, heavy, like, feeling of doubt. 
And it's just not fair because you know your body. And if there's something wrong with your body, you have to trust that you know that there's something going on. For sure. I think for so many of us, it is so difficult not having a quote unquote official justification for our pain or for our quote unquote erratic behavior, like rushing off to the toilet or absences because we're in chronic pain or we're too nauseous or sick. Not having anything to tell our bosses, our teachers, our families for what can be perceived as irresponsible or unreliable behavior, like I said, being absent or running off to the toilet, stuff like that. It's really hard because people are like, okay, well, if you're having these excruciating cramps that you say you're having, or if food makes you this sick and you have to always run off to the toilet, well, then someone would be able to find something wrong with you. Saying things like, oh, well, 11 doctors could find nothing wrong with me. Or, well, all the tests came back negative, but I know something's wrong with me. Those are not exactly phrases that inspire confidence in people to believe that, that there's something wrong with you. Because a lot of people that just the doctor is the medical authority and you need this official justification for how you're feeling. And then even when you get it, and even you get diagnosed with endo, I mean, we all know it's still, it just continues to be just as hard, which is what we're going to talk about today. Like, I know in my case, I really, really wanted a diagnosis because I really wanted to know I wasn't crazy. I just wanted to know what was going on in my body. And it's also in a way I wanted to prove to all these people that there really is something wrong with me. Because for the 16 years leading up to my diagnosis, and I imagine this is similar to a lot of people listening, it's like you don't get any sympathy. People were not very sympathetic. And people would ask me, like, I remember first being in college and then starting my jobs. And people would say things like, oh, you're sick again? You know, I'd be in college and I'd run out to the bathroom and come back into the class or like have to talk to the teacher and be like, I'm so nauseous. Can I change the time of your class so it's not in the morning? And all these little exceptions that I needed as a person who was living with a chronic illness. And just the things that you hear, it's just, you're sick again, Amy? Well, yeah, you're sick again. That's what happens when you have an illness that is chronic, that is in the name. It's chronic. It keeps happening. So, of course, you're sick again. <laughs> you open up a dictionary. Here's like, what chronic means. You're sick again. <laughs> you're like, hold on a second. Let chronic me pull out. illness. <laughs> well, what does Wikipedia say about chronic illness? I'm sure it has a lot to say. Okay? I was like, of course Sit it was tight again. while I Google this. <laughs> Let me give you a briefing. I was like, of course you were sick again. That's the nature of having an illness. So you somehow got to become a college professor, but you don't <laughs> understand the meaning of the word chronic? chronic? <laughs> How did that happen? I thought that was, is that, isn't that like a, like a ninth grade word yeah, or something? It's not like a level? high up level reading word or something. <laughs> well, also it's like, why were they paying such close attention to your bathroom habits? It's a little weird. <laughs> like, just let me go to the bathroom in peace, okay? I'm not leaving to do something shady. I just have to have diarrhea again. Yes, again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. It. They're like, oh, you're off to the bathroom again. It's like, trust me, I would rather be sitting here in art history class. I'd rather class not be running to the bathroom. be in the bathroom, <laughs> gripping the toilet, holding it, it hurts so bad, trying to hurry up and get it done and come back to your class so I don't have too yeah. many absences. I don't it's not like I'm class. like, oh, yeah, let me just run to the bathroom, like, have a nice leisurely knife vagina, and I'll come back. <laughs> so why did you fail second semester of college? Well, I had a lot of diarrhea, <laughs> and that caused me to miss a lot of class. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. Did you know that one time I had this class, and when I was in my second year of college, I had horrendous, horrendous morning sickness for like a whole semester. I really feel for anyone who has nausea and who has morning sickness because nausea is the worst, right? Like It is, so it is horrible. And I had such bad nausea when I first woke up for the first couple of hours. And I had this class at 8 in the morning. And I had tried to change the class with the registrar. They had another class at 4. And I couldn't get in that class. So I went, I talked to the teacher. And I was like, look, I don't feel good, blah, blah, blah. I have this morning sickness. Yes, I'm not pregnant. It's just, it's called morning sickness. <laughs> so That's what like, it's called. <laughs> you don't have morning sickness if you're not pregnant. I'm like, yes, you can be sick. It's hormonal related. Yes. I'm having hormone problems. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. And so basically, she was really nice the whole semester. She let me go to the 4 o'clock class, even though I was registered in the 8 o'clock class. You know, she taught the same stuff at 8 and then she did the same thing at 4. I never missed anything because by like noon, I was feeling a lot better. 
So when it came time to take the exam, which she'd been letting me go at 4 p.m. every single class, I was like, oh, the exam was at 8. And I was like, can I take the exam at 4? And then she was like, look me in the eye. And she was like, you know, Amy, I have made so many exceptions for you. And I'm thinking, okay, you've made an exception, but I mean, so many, like, one once you're time. counting every single class, you're like, that was an exception. But I thought it's it was not like, like a- she had to do extra work for it. <laughs> like, you just She's like, showed up. <laughs> I have made so many exceptions for you. And I'm sorry, Amy, but the exam is at 8 o'clock. And if you're going to throw up, then you'll just have to bring a bag. But I was so timid back then. I was so, like, now I just be like, all right, I'll see you at four. <laughs> yeah, I probably just either comment four or maybe I just would comment eight, but I wouldn't feel, but I was, that comment was so hurtful to me at that time because she was so direct and it just felt so mean and so like yeah. unsympathetic. Cold. And yeah. like, I don't care that you're having this problem. So, you know what? I had to go to the exam with a bag in my hand on the desk and the whole exam, I was just like, you know, I, trying not to- that I want you to throw up, but I really hope you didn't throw up. <laughs> I didn't throw up. Oh, darn it. I think the other it thing- It would have added such a, to the drama. <laughs> right? It should have just like chugged a whole, I don't yeah. know, ginger ale or something. Yeah. Like, something uh, that would great. You and just, and just look her in the eye as like, you're vomiting And just be bag. like, barbie. <laughs> oh, come on. That would have been so metal. <laughs> You I should get I extra credit for this. <laughs> but you know what I did do? I threw up during my SATs. Oh, no. Which is, if you're not in the U.S., it's like an exam that you take Standardized to, get testing. to get into college. But they're, like, really serious. And there's proctors, and they watch you. And you're not allowed to talk. And this, But if you have to leave, you cannot. Like, the test is done. You, like, and forfeit, you, basically. Yeah, and you have to, like, take it again. And so I was, like, almost at the end. And I was also having nausea a lot in high school when my... Endosymptoms first began at Ooh, 16. The budding of the endosymptoms. Thank you. Like a beautiful flower, <laughs> a black rose, <laughs> burnt, dead, shriveled <laughs> visual. I've been carrying around a bag in my purse since I was like 16 years She's old. She's a very graceful vomiter. Though, but I did throw up at the SAT and the woman came over and I was like, <laughs> and I threw up in this bag and the woman came over. She's like, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And I was just like, you can't force me to leave. <laughs> I am fine and I'm going to continue this test. Oh and she was gosh. looking at me like, Oh, God. You just threw up. I'm like, I am not contagious. If I have been, I've been here the whole time anyway. Yeah, right. This is not because of a contagion. This is I because of my I am almost done. There is like 25 minutes left of this. I think it was like, oh how long is it? I say three hours yeah, it's or hours. It's like the whole morning. I was like, I'm not coming back here. Who knows if I'm going to make it? I'm probably going to be pooping in the toilet. <laughs> Are you allowed to take the SATs from the bathroom? Like, there's I'm actually doctor. happy it came out this end rather than the <laughs> other end. So you should be happy too. Let me finish the exam. That's pretty metal, though. I'll be like, yeah, when I took my SATs, I puked in a bag and I still finished. People you with get endo your... are metal, okay? Like, <laughs> you get your seriously. Yeah, my score was like, my dad's like, well, I'm sure you could have scored at least 50 points higher. I was like, well, that was probably the moment when I threw up yeah, in a probably bag, Dad. splattered on the test a couple of questions I couldn't answer them. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So you think you're like, yeah, I bleed hardcore. I scream hardcore for my pain. Sometimes I puke during SATs. A metal as hell. This is endo life. <laughs> this, is, this is endo, baby. <laughs> well, what I was just thinking about when you were talking about some of your experiences was... How mean people are? Well, yes. I mean, I don't have to think about that. I'm just acutely aware. <laughs> but you're talking about experience you had in like high school and college. And when I think about that, like how young you are in high school and college, and sometimes even for people younger than that, you know, being that young really shapes how we see ourselves because you're forming your identity at that age. And when you're forming your identity based around people calling you an exaggerator or doubting you or disbelieving you, that really does form a part of your identity. And it can be really tough to have an identity outside of that kind of external pressure. Well, it's damaging to be called those things at an age when you're still forming your opinion of yourself. Yeah, especially when your peers are doing things that are completely different and getting completely different feedback. Everyone else is preparing for prom and you're preparing for the doctor's office. <laughs> your to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> like, oh, you're going in a limo. I'm going in an ambulance to get my emergency colonoscopy. <laughs> like, yeah, like those are not some things that typically kids your age are dealing with. Like, okay, I'm applying to college. Yeah, like I'm applying to a study to figure out what the heck is wrong with me. <laughs> like, that's not the same thing. So these things really do have an effect on our formation as people in an emotional way. And that's why it's so hard to talk about this illness. And it's so hard to have an illness that doesn't have a name because 
all your formative years, you're growing up thinking that you're crazy and there's something that is wrong with you, but it must not be real. And that really affects who we are as people and makes it really hard to advocate for ourselves later on. Well, they ask you, they're like, oh, well, who are you taking to prom? (laughs) Well, I'm taking my endometriosis. (laughs) And a bucket. (laughs) And three super jumbo tampons. (laughs) What dates? They're great dates. And a portable heating pad. And some pain reliever I on if dancing. I get lucky. I've been dancing with my heating pad all I'm just going to lay on the long. floor, roll around. <laughs> wow, she's screaming. She must be having a lot of fun. Yep, a lot of fun. <laughs> but when you have endo, it's just like, okay, getting totally ripped out of the world of adolescence and hopefully carefree living at that time and plunged in, into this dark world of doctor's offices and disease and blood tests and pain fear and confusion and that sounds really fun i'd like that instead of a typical adolescence experience (laughs) (laughs) just kidding (laughs) nobody wants that but that's what happens and at such a young age it's hard to understand what's going on and i think one of the problems of getting sick when you're a teenager is that it's that time when you really want to fit in and your social group and your peers, what they think is usually so important to us when we're younger and sometimes important to us our whole lives. But we have to remember that we grow up in a really judgmental culture where we are judged on everything, our hair, our looks, our tone posh, our clothes, what we say, our accent, our skin color, our gender. Our We grew up in a very judgmental culture and it's just so hard to fit in in general i think a lot of us just feel like we didn't fit in or we don't fit in and then to have an illness on top of that where you're living all these really different experiences of the people that are around you and i think that just really compounds that i think it's really unfortunate that people don't realize when they may say something that's hurtful you know when people say things that are judgmental or they say things that seem kind of off the cuff or may seem innocent to them and i'm sure all of you listening have had somebody made a make a comment to you that maybe they made really casually that was really deeply hurtful to you and it's just really unfortunate that people don't realize the effect that their words have and it's really hard to not give those words such an incredible power over us because it's so easy to let what other people say really dictate how we feel about ourselves well, and that's basically what happened to me. So in high school and college, as I said, it, it was just constant doubt and dismissal. And when I had endo flares and I was made to feel by friends and family and others around me and probably without meaning to, like like I was a burden and like I was annoying and my sickness was something that should be hidden, like that people didn't want to see and they didn't want to know about. And that really began to shape the way that I thought about myself. And I began to think, okay, I'm a burden. And I've doubted myself so deeply, as we talked about in the episode two, where I talked about my journey to diagnosis and how deeply, deeply I doubted myself. This impacted the decisions that I made throughout the years to hide my illness from other people, to not talk about it with people when I was in my late 20s. I just, I wanted to hide it. I didn't want anyone to know about it. Because I felt like it was this really shameful, and I just felt like I was this really deep, shameful burden. Well, it's really heartbreaking that it took so long for you to learn that you weren't a burden. And not that I'm like giving myself credit or anything, but I really like that when we first met, you were kind of in that transitional state between... Get all the credit, (laughs) Brittany. Get the credit. Get the credit. Well, I really like when we first met, you were in that in-between place of really trying to find yourself and like find where your voice was with your illness. And people with endometriosis, people with diseases in general are not burdens. You're not annoying. You're not too much to handle. You're not dramatic. You are the opposite of all of those things because what you're dealing with is something that is so incredibly soul-crushing at times. and mind exhaustion. You have to be extraordinary to deal with that. And I think it's been really nice to interact with you guys and share like where we are at in our life journeys and kind of see like, okay, well, we need to start reformatting and reformulating how we view ourselves through our diseases because we are not what other people say we are. And that's important, period. But it's also important when you have a chronic illness and everybody else is telling you how you're supposed to feel. 
I think it's really important that we pay attention to that. and Preach it, Brittany. Preach it. Well, it's really easy to be misunderstood, especially because most doctors have no idea what they're talking about with endo because it's so specialized. And like we said before, some people really hold doctors in a really high esteem and it can be really disheartening and discouraging when the person who's supposed to know how to help you can't help you. And this really highlights the importance of seeing an endospecialist for your endometriosis. And we've talked about this in so many episodes, but I think it's so important just if you can see a specialist who specializes in endometriosis than to see an actual endospecialist because they're specialized. They've seen hundreds of cases every year and they know how to expertly treat endometriosis. A lot of us, we've gone to doctors who failed to diagnose us, who failed to recognize our symptoms, or who also failed to offer us an expert treatment when we were able to be diagnosed. So it makes a big difference in your treatment, for sure. So just a quick reminder, everyone, that (laughs) we just really want you to find someone who can help you. (laughs) (laughs) Having a really expert doctor in endometriosis can change your life and can change the way that you feel. And of course, it depends on access. It depends on insurance. It depends on where you live. It depends on a lot of things. So back to what you were saying about people are so judgmental. They just look at you and they're just like, judgment, 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 right? They look at you and you're like, oh, her hair is too black or her hair is too long or her shoulder is flabby. I don't know. Can your shoulder be flabby? Probably in someone's eyes. People look at you and they just size you up and they just judge you and they make these comments. And if we are not careful, All of their comments can stick to us like flies to a sticky tape, right? And we should absorb the comments that other people make. And we start to think that about ourselves. And we have to be so careful to put up a filter, not to let other people's negative comments in about ourselves. And we have to form our own opinion of ourselves. And we know what we live through. We know how strong we are. We know how hard it is to live with this illness. And that, as Brittany said when we first met about four years ago now, I was really struggling to to find my identity as a woman with a chronic illness. And I remember being in college and we would be out and we'd be eating pizza. Well, my friends would be eating pizza. They would have ordered pizza. And they'd be like, do you want a bite of pizza? And I didn't eat pizza anymore. And I'd be like, oh, no, I know. You know what? I can't eat pizza because, I don't know, there's something wrong with me. And every time I eat pizza, I get really bad diarrhea. And I don't know what it is. And it just hurts my stomach so bad. And I would just start rambling about what pizza did to me. And people's eyes would be glazing over like, oh, my God. Like Just trying to eat here. (laughs) Why are you? Pizza and diarrhea, good combo. (laughs) Shut up. Like, I don't care, right? And I would just be like rambling on and on. At the time, no one believed that I felt sick and I was so desperate to be believed. Just I was just so desperate for people to believe because I was suffering so deeply physically and emotionally. So I just rambled on and on about everything that was wrong with me. And people were like, mm, I don't care. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I moved to Japan. And it was like this really magical chance for me to start over. I just assessed my early 20s and how I just had rambled and talked about being sick and people didn't care and how hurtful, like when you open up and you're like, I'm in so much pain and my period is debilitating and this and people are like, I don't care. It hurts to open up and people don't care. And so when I moved to Japan, I made this promise to myself that I was never, ever going to talk about being sick. Never. And I kept it this huge secret, somewhat of a huge secret because Basically, all my friends knew something wrong with me because I'd gone to the metro in Japan. I'd be like, I have to run off and go to the toilet. But I would never explain why. Like, you know, I had all my special food and I carried on my Tupperwares. I never ate in restaurants, but I never explained why. And they respected me. They never asked me anything about it. So I had all these weird behaviors, but I never talked about why. You're was, just a weirdo, right? I mean, no, I was you're just, just a weirdo now. <laughs> I was very mysterious. Oh, you have that mystique. Oh, Amy, she's an enigma. <laughs> No one knows oh. what's in her special Tupperwares. Ooh. <laughs> oh, Amy. <laughs> She's so secretive. Ooh, what an enigma. That's what you're going for, right? Like, totally. Amy Nailed the it. Enigma. <laughs> enigma. Enigmatic Amy. That's what, what a people mouthful. called me. They were like, oh, enigma. <laughs> I don't think so. I think she's making that up. <laughs> well, in some ways, it was really good because I never. Like in my early 20s, I, I kind of just fell out with all of my friends because I was just so, 
I just talked a lot about being sick. I really was just trying to convince people that I was sick. And and then when they didn't think I was sick, it hurt me. And then I would pull away. And it was this really just vicious cycle. And by the time I moved to Japan, I was like, I don't have any friends. And so when I went to Japan, I made this decision, which I'm not saying is the right decision, which we'll talk about in a second. But, you know, I made the decision to keep it a secret. And in a way that was really good because like my talking about my illness, like didn't get in the way of the friendship, if that makes sense. But at the same time, like, I honestly felt like I was living a double life. I just worked so hard to like put on a happy face when I was with my friends and to always be smiling. And I had this fake smile and it would like burn a hole into my face and we'd be out somewhere. We'd be at a music festival and I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I would go to the toilet and I would be in so much pain. I would cry my eyeballs out for like 20 minutes. And then I would you know, I had my little purse. I'd reapply, touch up my makeup. And then I'd be like, okay, pull yourself together, pull yourself together. And then I would come out. It was really hard because living with an illness is really difficult. And having to shoulder that burden alone and hide it from people and pretend that everything is fine and dandy when everything is not fine and dandy. And when friends were like, oh, can you meet? And I was like, having to go get a colonoscopy done. I'd be like, oh, no, I. I can't and I'd make up some other plan. I'm going to get my nails done and lying to people and also just wasn't the correct way to deal with it. You have zero support and you have zero way to get any support. <laughs> like you're just in a lose-lose situation when you don't it's just so talk hard. about it at all. It's just so hard to know how to deal with it. That's the thing. It's like in my case, like you talk too much and then I like didn't talk enough. And so where is this fine line between it's happy medium? Yeah, like letting people know what's going on, but like not, I don't want to say that we overwhelm them, but endometriosis is, is is overwhelming, right? And so like not. It's like how to communicate effectively. Exactly. Yeah. And over communicating is not effective and neither is under communicating. And no one likes being over communicated too. No, or under communicated <laughs> too. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how to communicate just the right amount. Ooh. <laughs> God, I need this episode like. When I was 18 years old, trying, Go back to, in time. We'll trying to navigate this. the waters of college. <laughs> I think it's important, really, for any aspect of your life, not just with endo, to, you know, learn how to communicate. But especially when you're trying to communicate about something that people have no parameters or concept to understand. And that people get so uncomfortable talking about illness because it reminds them of their morbidity. Mm -hmm. Well, if you had known what, then what you did now, would you have hidden your endometriosis in Japan? No, I would have been more open about having endometriosis if I'd known I had endometriosis then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think in Japan I wouldn't have hidden, like I wouldn't have tried, like I, I tried to like actively hide the fact that I was sick. And like I said, there were things that I couldn't hide, like I couldn't hide all my bowel, <laughs> all my bowel urgencies. And <laughs> what a nice way to put that. <laughs> bowel urgencies. <laughs> Do you suffer from bowel urgencies? Here, try this excuse. I got a poo. Bye. <laughs> the poo is coming like out of my like butt. An infomercial gone wrong. <laughs> Do you guys want to buy our product? Like lines to tell people when you have to poo real bad. <laughs> One time in Japan, we were going through it was the last train, which means last train means that this is the last train of the whole day. So and there's was, no chance after that. Yeah, it was like one in the morning then. And the next trains would begin at like six in the morning. And we were on our way home from somewhere. I lived in Tokyo. And I lived about 40 minutes outside of there. We were on the last train. We just got on and we were like halfway home. And I was like, I have to go. I have bowel urgency so badly. <laughs> I am so badly like it's coming out. Like I have to get off the train. I was like, and I was with my boyfriend. And he went, we were on our way home. He was like, if you go off the train, you're not going to be able to. And he, we were both so tired. We've been out like having fun all day long in Tokyo. And then I was like, I have to get off the next stop. But he was like, okay, bye. You know, I'm not getting off with you and oh then getting gosh. stranded somewhere. Like, he made a poor choice with that <laughs> phrase, but. He should have cut off with me, but. Well, yeah, any human, regardless of if it's an illness. Like, you don't leave a woman alone. Like, what the heck is wrong with him? Oh, well, Japan is a lot safer than. That's true. All right, Japan is fair. a lot safer than you. So anyway, I stood up because you just hold up when you're standing up. And I was like holding the pole because the train's like bumping around everywhere. And every time it I'm doesn't like, help. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then finally, it was just clench, like. Clench, and clench. then I was just turned to him. I was and the doors open. I was like, bye! <laughs> I just ran <laughs> off the off. train, like went to the toilet. And then, you know, this last train, so the train was gone. And the next five hours, I was in this small little village with like nothing. So I just sat down outside. 
Oh, <laughs> the train station, sleeping against the wall for like five hours, and then like the sun came up, and then the first train start, and then I went home. My oh, boyfriend was like in gosh. bed with sleeping, and that's what happens when you have bowel frequency. <laughs> when you have bowel urgency, ever experienced <laughs> jumping off the last train, spending five hours in an unknown village because you had bowel urgency? Buy our product, lines to help you go poo better. <laughs> Are you in the SATs and you're like, excuse me, I'm about to have bowel urgency. I'm just going to take out a bowel. Yeah, I think then they'd be like, excuse me, ma'am. I feel like we should sell something. This is highly inappropriate. Do not unbutton your pants. No, but I have bowel urgency. Why are you unbuttoning your pants? This is the SAT, ma'am. Yeah, and I know that- Either I go here or I go over in that corner. Pick a corner, any corner. The trauma things that you go through when you have endo. Yeah, they're just fun. Well, and I think so the basically the the good thing that I did in Japan was I let go of this like really deep need to be believed. I shouldn't have hit it, but I at that I I no longer was like needing to convince people and sure sometimes people make comments and you know, oh you never eat out in restaurants and oh Amy, you're my sick friend and like people would make a couple of comments and I would just laugh like, "Oh yeah, whatever." So I, I like let go of this of this need because I really think it's this need to convince that I had, okay, this need to convince other people like I'm as sick as I say and my pain is as horrific as I say that leads to suffering when they don't believe you. I know what I go through and I don't, you know what? I don't need you to believe me. If yeah. I had to get off a train, the last train <laughs> and spend five hours, okay, sitting on, outside on the pavement then that is real. Okay. Then yeah. I'm pretty sure I definitely was pooping myself and I have a problem where I poop myself. Well, and it's like <laughs> convincing others to believe you. Others believing you, yeah, it can feel good and supportive, but it doesn't really gain anything. So you're really just expending frustration and exhaustion and sadness by trying to convince other people to believe you. But even if they do, there's nothing that can be gained to help you feel better. But letting go of that intense like need to be like, you have to believe me. Then you just feel better <laughs> because you're like, I don't care if you believe me. I know I'm sick. So if you want to ask me about it, I'll share with you. But I don't need you to believe me because I believe me. And that's really the most important part is we just need to advocate for ourselves. But that doesn't mean you have to convince other people because the other people aren't going to be able to help you. Oh, and note by other people, we don't mean your doctor. Yeah, Non-doctor people. Never. <laughs> don't always, hide from your doctor. <laughs> exactly. You should always advocate for yourself and you should always make sure your doctor knows what's going on and your symptoms and everything with your body. We're referring more to like when people, you know, what we said, my teacher's like, you're sick again. It's like, yeah, I am. I'm sick again. I have a chronic illness. The end. Walk away. <laughs> yeah. So Don't waste your energy. Ooh. Let's go over a couple of situations and how we would. Ooh, are we going to role play some communication? Oh, yes. <laughs> Just about talking it. about an invisible illness named endometriosis. Ooh, spooky. Ghost in the uterus. <laughs> <laughs> they should rename the illness to ghost in the uter- Ghosterus. <laughs> uter- Ghostetriosis. I know that uteri is double, like more than one uterus, but I really like the sound of uteri ghost. <laughs> amazing it sounds good right like uteri ghost i feel like i want to like ghost name a website after that like uteri ghost that's brilliant don't steal that from us (laughs) that's hilarious all right my new name on instagram is uteri ghost thanks for listening to uteri ghost (laughs) that sounds awesome 16 years of uteri ghost Love it. Let us know if you think that's ridiculous or if you just like it like we do, because I don't know. It just sounds really satisfying for some reason. All right. So talking about your invisible illness, let's do some quick tips. Ooh, fun. Quick tip one. Don't ramble. (laughs) If I learned anything in my 20s about talking about endo, don't ramble. Keep it short and concise when you talk about endo. I would say probably monitoring your emotion level. Ooh. Because it's easy to get really emotional because this is a really emotional disease, but it's really hard to convey yourself in the way that you choose to communicate and convey yourself when your emotions get the better of you. Ooh. And you know what they say? The message can get lost in the way you... In the delivery? Yeah. Yeah. So like the way you say something, 
I don't know, they would say like, if you fight with your spouse and you want to tell them they never take out the garbage and you say, oh, you know what, honey, when when I see the garbage and I come home and I'm really tired enough to take it out, like it hurts me. Or that's like the correct way or whatever. Or you, they come home and you're like, you never take out the garbage, you lazy slob. <laughs> oh <my laughs> <God>. <laughs> I never had that fight with my boyfriend. I swear. I swear. And <laughs> very practiced. But you know, that's like, yeah, that, wh- which one are you going to respond that to? That is the yeah. same message, but the tone and the delivery is totally different. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking, like, for example, I think my problem with my 20 was like, I would start talking about endo to my friends, but I would get really upset because it was very upsetting for me. And I would get really emotional and I would start crying. And then they kind of just be like, wow, Amy's really dramatic. Yeah, yeah of course I was vain. dramatic. I was in debilitating pain. But you're you know? not saying what you want to say because your weren't... body language is saying it for you. Yeah. So my body language was like, she's totally losing it. She's just overwhelmed and whatever. So they weren't listening to what I had to say. They were listening to my tone. So be calm and confident. Be confident when you talk about your endometriosis. Good tip. And if you're in a professional setting, stay professional. <laughs> very true concise and confident and calm yeah and with the concise i would definitely say like less is more when you start because when you start talking to somebody you can kind of gauge their interest level and if they ask you a question you can answer but in a concise manner and then if they ask more then that means they are interested and you can then open up the conversation even more but most people as we know unfortunately don't have the ability to kind of understand the experience and when they ask how you are they don't really ask how you are so I would say that gauging the interest of the other person can really help to know how much you could feel comfortable sharing so that you don't feel like later like oh I overshared or oh I wish I hadn't said that if you kind of gauge with the other person their interest level by how many questions they're asking, it can help you to know how much you could open up. And are they genuine questions or sarcastic questions? Yeah. Or are they like, oh, this sounds tough. So what do you eat? I eat what I want. Thank you. And <laughs> leave. But if they're being genuine, then if you feel comfortable sharing, feel comfortable to share. But that helps kind of with that guilt of like, oh, I rambled. I overshared. I said too much. It just gauging how the other person's reacting is really helpful for that. And if you do ramble or start crying or whatever happens because, hey, it's not like you rehearsed it, then you can (laughs) rehearse it. If you talk about, like, if you get asked a question and you answer and you're later like, oh, my goodness, I would not have answered like that. Or, oh, I wish I'd answered differently. You can think about that and you can think, okay, well, is this a common question that I get asked? Well, let me rehearse an answer to the way I want to answer it so that next time I'm put on the spot and ask this question, I'm going to feel more in control about the way that I answered or I'm going to feel more happy with the way that I answered this question. And I think it's just a learning curve. So we're going to go over some examples of things that I kind of like have encountered in the way that I answer them nowadays when I have to talk about endo. But I want you to know I would did not talk about it like this. It's like These until- are well-rehearsed, practiced responses to questions <laughs> that she did not respond this way to earlier no okay this is me like learning deeply so if you're like oh wow that was a really intelligent answer that question because you know it's me but (laughs) we thought of these like specially for this answer these are not the ways we would have said them when we were actually asked them so but we're giving them to you so like you can say (laughs) so you don't have to say the awkward embarrassing things that either of us probably said (laughs) remember that these are just examples a handy dandy guide (laughs) it's my guidebook for navigating life with endo (laughs) communicating about endometriosis for dummies (laughs) oh that should be a book trademark that nobody's dealing i shouldn't name the podcast episode that (laughs) yeah endometriosis communication for dummies i love it but just remember that these are only examples so these are just starting places. It's like a guide that you can use if you want to. You don't even have to use these examples. But if you're looking for some place to start, then you can go ahead and use these, but definitely tailor them to the situation that you're in because obviously the way that you respond or the way that you talk about your endo is going to be done on a case-by-case basis. First, we want to start with the age-old, always-asked question debilitating pain? Really? It can't hurt that bad. The way to answer that question is you just punch someone in the face. (laughs) 
Okay, we're going to get people arrested for assault. No, 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 we no don't, don't recommend that. Do not do that. Just in your mind, you could do that. Absolutely. Do that in your head. Take a deep breath. You're just like, must resist punching you in face. And then you calmly, confidently, and succinctly say, I understand that debilitating pain probably sounds like an exaggeration, but it really does hurt me that badly. You could end it there or you could keep going, depending on the person. You say, you know, I would appreciate if you trusted that it really is as bad as I say it is. And if you're doubtful, I do understand that. But in the end, I know what I go through and I don't need your validation. I, I don't need you to believe me because it's not going to change the debilitating pain that I'm in. That was said so beautiful. Applause. Medal. <laughs> I wish you had said that <laughs> during all those other responses of punching people in the face. <laughs> now, that can be a hard one to answer because it's so personal. That's one of the tough emotional ones. But something very calm and confident can really make someone go, oh, oh, maybe she is serious. So that's a good one to keep in your arsenal. Your turn, Brittany. Wow, Brittany. You're sick again? Another mental punch. But then after the mental punch, you could say something like, yes, I am sick again because I have a chronic illness and the chronic illness, unfortunately, will never go away. I know you can't see my illness because it's invisible, but that doesn't make it any less real and it doesn't mean that it affects me any less. You probably didn't mean to be hurtful with the comment that you just made, but it was very hurtful to me. Because I do experience reoccurring sickness and it's very hard to deal with. First of all, did she not sound so calm? <laughs> My God. I had to practice being calm a lot, okay? I was feeling embarrassed for making that comment to her about being sick again. But I love that. And sometimes it's nice to point out to people that what they say, the way that it makes us feel. A lot of people don't realize that their words have power. And a lot of people don't realize that what they say is genuinely hurtful. Yeah, or they, they don't mean it rude. sometimes. Yeah. And when you point it out to them nicely, calmly, the way that Brittany did, letting them know, like, you may have not have wanted to hurt me with your comment, but it's very hurtful to me because of, I go through so much every single day with this illness. They might be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I never meant to say something that would be hurtful to you. Exactly. Because they're probably not a mean person. But they just need to be told because people have no idea that the words they say affect people if we don't tell so them. So many people talk without thinking. They're oh, just like, blah, 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 blah. Just what kind word of vomit everywhere. What can come out of my mouth? <laughs> You're like, maybe try to reel it in and, and <laughs> think pause. about your words before you speak. But just like yeah. think a little bit before you talk. It's asking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so for this next scenario, I'm going to set a little scene here. So say you are accompanying your partner to a party or an event. Oh, fun. And it's fun for now. And oh, you oh have an endo flare. Oh, it's not fun anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they have to leave their event with you. And Is it at a haunted house? I mean, <laughs> if it's the uteride ghost, then it's always <laughs> a haunted house. <laughs> but no, um, they had to leave the event that they wanted to go to to take you home early because you had an endo flare. But here's the clincher, the kicker, whatever. Later that night, they said that it was really frustrating for them to take you home and they felt that you should apologize to them for ruining their evening. What do you Ooh. say? What oh do you say? God. Other than we're through, please leave. What do you say? Other than time for a breakup. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to know that this scenario, all these scenarios are based on real life that I've lived through. And what I said in the moment, um, I apologized. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I was like 22. I did not have a lot of confidence. And I, and I felt like, wow, I'm a burden and I'm annoying. But if someone... And now you know better. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now I'm a smart, powerful know woman. Know your worth. Know your worth. <laughs> so what I would say now, if someone said that to me, I would say, um, let me see, what would I say? Sort of like, oh, you should apologize for ruining my evening. I would say, you know, endometriosis has been deemed in the top 20 most painful illnesses and the pain that I was in during the endo flare was equivalent to labor pains. I really, really appreciate the fact that you left the party, that you took care of me. That was very 
decent of you. That was very caring. But I do not think that I have to apologize for having endometriosis, which is completely out of my control. Oh, reach. Oh, really? Let's say that again. <laughs> endometriosis is out of your control, which means you are not responsible to or for anything that happens when you're having an endo flare. Like, preach that to And you do the not rooftops. have to apologize to anyone. Mm. If your friend, partner, family member, whoever is upset with you because you have flares, guess what? I'm upset that it has flares, but I'm being nice to it. <laughs> and also, grow up. That's yeah. what life is about. Life is about we all have our things that we come Like, that saying, we all come with baggage. I'm not saying endo is baggage, but, like, we all have our things that we've come with. If you want to be around me, you got to be around my uteri ghost, baby. <laughs> Boo! And... <laughs> My uteri ghost is one little tiny, okay, well, not too tiny. <laughs> Come on. One now. super huge part of me. But it's not me. I'm so much yeah. more than that. What am I? I'm so, how am I going to describe myself? I am smart. Wow. And that's right. I am, I'm <laughs> preaching it, okay? I am smart and I am funny and I am caring and funny and. <laughs> Caring and she, she's really trying to force you to believe that she's funny. I thought we let go of the need to be believed. Am I funny, people? Tell me my you funny. are funny, okay, sweetheart. Oh, thank you. Pat myself on the back. But I'm I'm so much more than my endo. And if you're around me and all you can see is my endo and all you can see is my flares, guess what? I don't want you to be around me. I want mm -hmm. you to see me for who I am. And I think a big part of it is also pointing out the disparity to people about how. If somebody who had diabetes had an insulin issue and got sick, you would not say, well, why can't you just control your diabetes? <laughs> why does like, your pancreas work yeah, right? <laughs> like, you wouldn't do that. So sometimes you need to say to people, like, you know, you can explain, like, I understand this illness is very difficult to understand. Let me maybe try to compare it to something. Okay, I'm sorry. To put it in perspective. By the way, is it that difficult to understand? It's not, but that's gross. <laughs> you got some tissue that grows. <laughs> and it gets really and, big and angry. And <laughs> it flames and causes you lots of pain. I mean, is that hard to understand, people? It's not. Is it hard? It's not. <laughs> okay. So sometimes comparing it to another disease like that can make people be like, oh, well, I never thought of it like that. Now we know. That's why we're having to explain it to you. But it can be helpful. Okay, Brittany, so let's say that you've decided to let your supervisor at work know that you have endo because you had a flare and you got trapped in the bathroom and then the janitor's office mm -hmm. for several hours and you pass out on the floor next to a garbage can. Sounds familiar. Which would happen to me. We talked about in a different episode. And then... I didn't make it to the janitor's then, office. I just passed out in the bathroom stall. <laughs> And then the next day, you're like, I really need to inform my work that I have this illness. So when I pass it in a bathroom, no one calls the ambulance. <laughs> and no one's like, where is Amy or where is Brittany? And then they think you're off, like, at the mall. I don't know what they think you were doing if you went at your desk. <laughs> Do people go in the mall anymore? I don't know. Online shopping. Whatever. And, then, and you get fired. So how would you tell your – you've decided to tell your work. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Great question, because this can definitely be very anxiety-inducing. Oh, God. But again... This is a good one to practice. Calm and professional. Practice, yeah, practice. Practice. I would say that there's definitely a little bit of a script involved before, <laughs> before this was told to a supervisor. But something along the lines of... Sitting down with your supervisor. Okay, we're sitting. We're sitting. We've scheduled a meeting. We're sitting at appropriate so distance. Have, no one is uncomfortable. Yes. We're having eye contact, meeting, but not too so much. <laughs> all the time is set aside. There is no rushing. They are given full attention. And we say, I'd like to talk to you about an illness I have. It's called endometriosis. This is where endometrial-like tissue grows outside of my uterus where it shouldn't grow. Okay, I'm sorry. Just hold on. The boss, the supervisor right now is just like endometrial, like tissue, uterus. Ew. <laughs> Physically recoiling inside. <laughs> but you but just you got listen to me. Power you through. Just, you just keep going. You just this keep going. This is one of those instances where you do not pay attention to the body language of the other. You and you just do keep not, going. And you do not cry. No. I mean, we know, we know from experience. You can just you can cry. But save it till after. <laughs> cry under your destiny cubicle. <laughs> You can cry after you finish. You want to be the speech. You want to look professional, put together because and we know this is hard because we've both you not having done it. endometriosis does not. What you're saying is I have this, 
but I'm still capable. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want them to judge you like, oh, my God, I have this illness called endometriosis. So it's really I'm, hard and I can't do anything. Yeah. Like, and ugh. I'm in pain a lot and I'm going to have to call out a lot. And but it'll be fine. Right. Because you can accommodate me or you have to tell them that you are capable. And in order for you to remain being capable, you need accommodation. That's if, the that, goal. if that's what you're if that's what you need. So we'd say during my menstrual cycle, my periods can become incredibly painful, well above average. And I'm telling you this because I'd like to know if it'd be possible for me to have an accommodation, for instance, working from home one to two days a month during my period in order for me to continue to complete my work at the level at which I'm currently completing it. Thank you. Granted, Brittany, granted. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, I felt some anxiety. <laughs> I mean, it is a really anxiety-inducing question, but oftentimes when explained in this way and in this very professional and confident and calm manner, you're asking for a medical accommodation. So it's not asking for something outrageous. And generally when it's delivered in that manner, remember we said the way it's delivered often has a lot to do with what you're saying. The supervisor has the space then to consider your offer on a professional level and they're not having to deal with, okay, like she's all over the place. I don't, I'm not really following. Now she's feeling very emotional. I feel uncomfortable. This is a professional setting. So it alleviates the supervisor from having to kind of battle those feelings and allows them to just make a decision, which oftentimes is a positive decision in your favor so we definitely recommend practicing that one like a lot (laughs) well we're gonna do an entire episode probably two episodes about endometriosis and work so this is just an example like a little sneak peek but a little bit of an example today of just another way to talk about your illness and you don't have to use those words and you don't have to ask for accommodation this is just an example of how to remain like Brittany did calm professional concise. You did so good, Brittany. Could you you. go talk to my boss for me? Because I don't feel... I'm pretty sure we practiced this before you did talk to your boss. Like for like days. I wrote it down and then I just kept telling myself in the mirror. I just need to practice it in front of you and I need you to pretend to be my boss. I was like, okay, I can do that. You're fired. No, I'm just kidding. I did not do that. No, we practiced together so that she could deliver it the way she wanted. It's just about you delivering it the way you want to deliver it. You have the right to deliver it in the way that you choose. So practice does help. So a question that we sometimes get asked by our lovely listeners, you, is how do you say no to something because of endometriosis? How do you turn something down, whether it be food or an event or going somewhere, because you know that you're not going to be capable during that time? You don't, Brittany. You don't turn it down. <laughs> you just go and you eat all the food and then you have a flare and they make them take you home and then no. you tell them, do not dare ask me to apologize. No, I, I don't like this one. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not what we're doing. Let's, let's solve the problem before it becomes a problem. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going we're gonna to honor ourselves. Yes. Okay. And we're going to give ourselves permission to say no. So how do you say no when your friend asks you to do something with them? Okay, I would say, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I, I'm so flattered. Okay, no. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I feel like I'm winning the Oscars. Yeah, thank wow. you so much to my mother and my cat. Okay, I would say, you know what? I would love to go to this, to the movie with you. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to decline because I'm, if it's right now and I'm not feeling good, I would say because I'm, I'm really not feeling well. But I do really want to go. So I love that you asked me. So I really don't want you to think that I'm like not want to go or that I'm blowing you off or that I'm declining for any reason. I, if I felt better, I would love to go. But unfortunately, I, I'm just, I'm not feeling good and I have to go home and rest. And if it was in the future and I looked at my calendar and I was like, ooh, Red Dragon is flying ooh, that's his to flight week. singe my remaining ovary, then I would say the same thing. Like, you know, thank you so much for inviting me. I love hanging out with you. It's so much fun. But, you know, when I check my calendar and if it's a new friend or an old friend, it depends. But I realized that I'm really I'm not going to be feeling good that week. I have an illness called endometriosis. And that's the week that my period comes. And this illness really flares when I have my period. So I would love to make plans another time. And maybe we can look and see another time to go or we can do something else in the future. But I'm just not able to go 
this time. I think it's good to tell them, like, I want to hang out with you. Thank you for inviting me. You're not saying, like, no. Why? I just can't. Because then they feel like maybe you don't like them. Yeah, like <laughs> maybe you're the giving case. that ultimate blow up. Yeah, so, like, tell them, like, oh, thank you so much. I love hanging out with you. It's just that's really not a great time for me. And you can go into a little bit of the detail like Amy just did if you feel comfortable with that. Or you don't have to. And if someone presses you, say, like, it's just not something I prefer to discuss right now, but I definitely want to hang out with you. So let's please find another time together and let them know that they're a valued friend if they're a valued friend. And that way, people, you won't feel like, OK, nobody ever wants to hang out with me because you've let them know you do want to hang out with them. There's just certain times when you can't. And then you won't feel so left out because people will know, OK, well, then I can invite her a different time. I also think you can be proactive, like if you're feeling good. And you're like, oh, I'd love to hang out with this friend today or that friend. You could call and be like, hey, I'm, you know, if they know you have energy, you could be like, I'm having a really great day. Like, I'm not having any flares. Are you free? I would love to do something. So I think sometimes when we we get that pushback from our friends who they've invited us out, but unfortunately we've had flares, our periods, you know, maybe we're sick a lot and we've had to say, we've had to decline their invitation a lot. And so sometimes I've had friends have the attitude of, oh, you're always sick, Amy, or come on, you're sick again. And it's just, again, gently letting them know, like, yes, it's really hard for me. I, I understand I'm sick a lot, and I understand that you invite me out a lot, and I decline the plans a lot. But I, every time I decline the plans, it hurts me. It hurts me that I can't go, and I can't spend time with you, and I love hanging out with you, and I wish I could more. And I, I really hope you'll continue to invite me to the plans, because if I feel good, I'm telling you that I'm going to go, because I love hanging out. And I think it's just kind of opening up and. And I don't know if that was vulnerable sounding, but just being like more honest and, mm -hmm. and a little bit vulnerable and your friend realizes like they kind of soften if they were maybe feeling a little angry about it. Yeah, or frustrated or, you know, not with you, but like with the situation. And I think this is a nice way to let your friend know like, yeah, I, I want to go. I it's It pains me that I can't mm -hmm. go. And like Amy said, like making that initiative can help too. If you're feeling especially good. You know, you don't have to wait for them to ask you. You can just say, hey, what about today? What about tomorrow? And that can really help people feel valued when you ask them to hang out. So if you feel scared to lose friends or to lose relationships, just reinforce how valuable those relationships are to those people. And then they won't doubt that you value them. OK, so the next question is one that Brittany and I get asked every single day. Sometimes multiple times a day. <laughs> Every time we're in the break room oh at gosh. work, because we it's a hazard both, zone. We both follow our gluten-free, sugar-free diet. Brittany follows a similar diet. Similar, basically. <laughs> the Brittany diet. <laughs> I love it. Brittany follows the Brittany diet, and Amy I follows the Amy diet. I know. I follow the uterigos diet. <laughs> and every diet is tailored per person. So, <laughs> so we're gonna actually do an entire episode about responding to the comments that people make about food because there's literally no end to the comments that people will make about the food you are eating. Oh, oh my gosh. god, people stop commenting. No one cares about what you think about. Leave my me alone food. to eat my beautifully crafted meal in peace. But let's just say very quickly that you're in the break room and someone is insisting that you try a donut. Try a donut, Brittany. Oh, they're really good. Come on, try a donut. Just one bite. Do it, Brittany. A donut. Put that donut down your face! Don't you think they want to scream that? Oh because they, no, but they get so, being so forceful. They get so yeah. insistent, right? You're like, try a donut. You're like, oh, no, thanks. Like, try a donut. And you're like, no, you have to have a donut. No, no, but they're really good. Well, just one bite, Brittany. It's like trying drugs. Just it's one like bite, Brittany. Just one bite. Just one bite. Oh, thank you so much for offering. I'm actually not interested, but I really appreciate it. It looks really good. Just one bite, Brittany. If you'd like to have that donut for me, you could have that for me. <laughs> yeah, but you need to have it because you just just have one bite, Brittany. It tastes good. I don't know why you don't want to have one bite. It's just not something that I'm interested in trying, so I just politely decline. And now I'm going to leave the break room. <laughs> Abandoned ship. Ship is <laughs> Leave, sinking. Run away. <laughs> but sometimes people can be really forceful and insistent. Like Aggressive, we've had, yeah. yeah, we've had situations where you'll say like, oh, no, thank you. It looks really tasty, though. And I'm like, well, if it looks so tasty, then why don't you want to try it? Like, it's just not something that I'm interested in trying. And I say, well, why are you so Why are you trying to push it on me? On what if I'm allergic to it? Would you try to give me peanuts me and kill me? <laughs> but we're going to do a whole episode on that, but. Because it's very complex. Just staying polite and calm. And if. They and you can leave the situation. Exactly. If they if they don't stop, just walk away. Just bye bye. And you say, well, no, thank you. I'm I'm actually going to leave now. And just leave. That's okay to do. 
some people just have really no concept of how things affect people, like really have no concept. So feel free to leave the situation if it's uncomfortable. So for our final one, we Mm. want to address something that I'm sure. Our final one, our time is ending already. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's something that I know we both have definitely heard. We've all heard. All of us. Every single one of us. And this is the question from another person who has a period. When you are saying like something about your period being difficult, saying, well, I have a period and mine never has hurt that bad. You must be exaggerating. There's no way a period has ever been that painful. Are we allowed to punch in this scenario? In your head only still. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do you say? What's your comeback? Your period doesn't hurt that bad. (laughs) You'd say, lucky you, and then run away. Must be nice. Well, if I knife you in the uterus, will it be hurting then? <laughs> no, no bodily no, no, assault. No, 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 Amy. no, no. <laughs> Please, no one do that. That's aggressive. That's assault. That's a crime. And it solves nothing. Yeah, it just makes you go to jail. All right. So no physical violence. Use my words. Calm, collected. Words have power. Confident. Yes, they do. Okay. I just said, oh, my period. And so, There's well, no way period. it really hurts that bad. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that you don't have symptoms or pain on your period, but you may not be aware of how lucky you are. I have an illness called endometriosis, which can cause debilitating symptoms and debilitating pain during my period. And this is something that I've been living with for years. So honestly, I would really appreciate it if you would keep in mind that everyone's experience with their period is different. And if you could be sensitive to what I and many are struggling with on a daily basis worldwide. Oh, that was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. That was such a good answer because that's something that... Did you know I had to give that answer? But not... And you shouldn't have to. That's the hardest no, no, part. I had to have give that to. answer to another woman with endometriosis. Oh, we were at yeah. work and I was talking to my supervisor, but we were like in a little, like, like a little huddle, you know? And so we were having a conversation with, like, me and another coworker and my supervisor. And I recently opened up to my supervisor having endometriosis. And, you know, I was still finding these waters of how to speak about it and this and remain calm. And I had said something about just some, like, little comment. And the other coworker, and we're in front of my supervisor. And the other coworker said, she basically said, well, in this, like, kind of haughty tone, like, well, I have endometriosis and I don't have pain like that. Okay. Well, clearly, everything. Clearly, you don't know anything about having endometriosis. Okay, <laughs> and lucky you to have such a low level of involvement. But that's not that. That's not the experience of the majority with the disease. Way to totally devalue an entire population uh, of people. Oh, it was so bad. But I basically, uh, I base, I was just like, I feel like I've been punched in the face. Like another woman with endometriosis just told me that my pain, like of all people, to tell me that my pain you isn't just real. Support me. Okay, like, where's Endo? You should defend me, not tear me down. We're Endo family. What do you don't know about the community? But yeah, I basically told her, because I was like, I have to say something because I'm in front of my supervisor. and Who I'm trying to convince to understand my experience. Exactly. And at the time, I was asking for an accommodation to work from home during my period because I physically could not get into, like, I couldn't even, good Lord, I couldn't get out of bed, but I didn't work in those moments. But in like the more of like the recovery moments from my period, like there's no way I could get into work. And so this woman was just basically undermining. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything that I was fighting so hard for. And so I let her know that and I let her know like endometriosis is illness that affects in so many different ways. And we can have so many varied symptoms and varied pain. But there are people like myself who are living with chronic pain, with debilitating pain during their periods. And I've been struggling for years and I am so happy for you that you are so lucky that you don't have to struggle like that on a daily basis. But please respect the fact that I'm struggling. And what you said, it hurts me. And she was like, oh, oh, well, I had, I had no idea. And she really didn't because she's one of the nicest people <laughs> like ever. But most people have no idea. She was like, oh, and I had my C-section. They saw inside that it endometriosis. Well, that's very nice that you don't experience symptoms, but that's not the case for everybody. 
Then also and you should look into that. If they told you you yeah, had endometriosis it could get C-section, worse. And Holy you just, moly. It doesn't matter if you don't have symptoms. You should go see an, you had because you, you have, have symptoms later. Disease. <laughs> yeah. Go look at that. Well, we hope this podcast gave you a lot to think about. A lot of ways to craft perfectly, not perfect, nothing's perfect. A lot of ways to craft calm, concise, professional perhaps comments about talking about endometriosis, something that we have to do. Unless you just want to tattoo the word I have endometriosis on your forehead. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Well, no one would know what it is anyway. People come and be like, what's endometriosis? And then you're going to have to add a dictionary <laughs> definition below the word. And then it's like over your left cheek. And it's just like, that's a lot. <laughs> on your cleavage. Yeah, it goes you know? all the way down. Like, nah, I don't I don't think that's a good look. You always walk around in a bikini. You're like, because <laughs> Read my endo. <laughs> every bit of my story and you is go, tattooed on my body. <laughs> can you imagine? You have a tattoo of every single symptom. They'd be oh like, goodness. oh, wow. I got the sleeve and the other sleeve and the pant leg and that one she's head to toe (laughs) we hope that these answers can help inspire you to learn how to communicate in the way that you choose to communicate so that when you do explain something about your endo or you do have to answer a question it comes out the way that you choose for it to come out and you don't feel like you didn't say it the way you wanted to i think it's very important for us to have that power and say, like, I feel empowered to say something the way that I want to say it. So if you have some questions that you get a lot, we'd love to hear what they are. Maybe we can come up with some more answers or as a group, we can do that. I know that everybody gets asked things that are different. So if you have some questions that people nag you about, we'd Ooh. love to hear those. And, and what are your to, amazing yeah, answers? And, well, yeah. Or what are some of the things that you've been asked that you've been like, oh, nailed that answer. <laughs> We'd love to know some of those, too, because I'm sure there are other people who are like, I didn't nail that answer. And I'm sure we also be like, we never nailed that answer. I'm still trying to nail that answer. I just got a nail in my thumb. That's yep. what I got so far. Nail in the endo coffin. So, <laughs> yeah. So share those with us because it's always great to see things from different perspectives. And we love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. We are at Instagram in 16 years of endo. And we also have the website in 16years.com. And before we go, we just want to say, if you love the podcast, we would love if you would tell someone about the podcast, share and rave, and we will talk to you next time. 